Well, again, good morning to you. Hope you're doing well. Joel Wayne here, one of the pastors, and yes, we're in the Because It Matters series, and today we get to speak and learn about weed and wine, marijuana and wine, and I am disturbed by the number of people asking for samples. Um, I just want you to know that. Um, Before we get into all of that, I want to talk about something a little different to lead into it, to, to walk into it. Um, how do you measure your own spiritual health? And I want to give you some things that I do in order to measure my own spiritual health. Everybody's a little different. Some of them are pretty obvious. One may not be as obvious to you. Um, one, I look at the amount that I'm reading the Word of God, the Bible. Uh, that's a little different for me, of course, because I measure it based on how much am I jumping into the Word outside of preparing a message. I know several weeks out, kind of the passage that I'm looking at and what I'm going to. Obviously, some topics I, I, you can say to me, and I just go, okay, yeah, that's, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 4 or whatever, Ephesians chapter 5 um, or Romans chapter 8, and I can just go to it. But I'm going, okay, wait a second here. Um, for me, my spiritual health, a lot of it is determined how much time am I spending in God's Word outside of preparation for a sermon. Hopefully that's a, a measure for spiritual growth in your own life is how much time are you spending in the Word. That's why we're asking you to even do the Mark reading plan with us. We've made it as simple as possible uh, as half a chapter a day. And guys, i got to tell you, if you can't read half a chapter a day, I mean, it's, it'll take you a whopping three minutes If you can't read half a chapter a day, you're going to struggle to really allow God's Word to to seep into your life. Um, Another thing that I use in terms of spiritual health, I look at my prayer life. I was able to preach about that a month ago and to evaluate how much I'm petitioning or how much I'm just joining with God. Uh, And so I'm able to look at all that. A third thing, though, that I do to really evaluate my own spiritual health is I look and I evaluate how concerned I am for the people around me. Do I hurt for the people around me? Now, just as I preached last week about health, we have to love life because God loves life. And we are called to love the things that God loves. Yes? And I know that God loves all people, and I know that God wants for everybody to come before him and to encounter him, to experience him, to be aware of him, and to uh, be empowered by him through the Holy Spirit. And so when I'm no longer hurting for the people around me who are lost, I'm not in a very good place. That's when typically, uh, and this is, this is called being self-aware, that's where typically I'm just running through life as hard as I can. And I'm just trying to make it from one day to the next. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, it's October when it was just August the 12th. And you're just running, 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 running. So one of the ways I evaluate my own spiritual health is the concern that I have for other people. And I'd like to ask you, what causes you today, what causes you the most hurt? Do you hurt for those around you? So often in the church today, we just want to correct people rather than help people encounter God. And my job is, to, I, I just want you to encounter the living Jesus. That's all I want. He'll take care of the rest. That's how I feel. He's the one who's sovereign, who is all-sufficient. But what causes you to hurt today? When was the last time you cried for someone because of the pain that they have in their own life? This is one way that I would even summarize it, is that having little concern for the spiritual needs of others 
means you think little of others. Having little concern for the spiritual needs of others means you think little of others. And I certainly think that's the case because, again, God loves all of his children, whether they acknowledge him or not. And so to ignore the hurt and the pains and the hardships and the difficulties of others, to simply walk past them and not hurt for them and not be concerned about it, uh, I I think is against what God would desire of us. Do you hurt for other people? Um, Maybe you're aware. Do you know Penn and Teller, those guys out in Las Vegas? You know who I'm talking about? Yes? We're going to have lots of participation today. All right, Penn and Teller, you know who I'm talking about? Yes? Awesome. Um, right now, some of you are Googling them because you don't know. You just agree. Peer pressure. Um, so Teller is the tall one, and he is a devout atheist. All right? And I, I want to share um, some things that he has said even about the Protestants' lack of concern for the unbelieving. Um, I'm going to read some of it, and then some of it will even come up on the screen for you, because I want, I want to make sure it soaks in. He says the following. He says, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that that's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, and atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? And then he continues, he says, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you, and this is more important than that. And because here at Chapel Point, we so yearn for transformation, that we're, we, we recognize we want everyone to be a transformed follower of Jesus. I'm wanting us today just to allow our minds and our hearts to to rest in the fact that do we really have a hurt and a desire for others to come to know him? That's why we're preaching this series, guys. We're we're walking through this because um, some people um, are concerned about the words that may be spoken. Others are not. Um, But regardless of where you're coming from in life, regardless of what your situation is right now, our desire is very, very simple. We want you to encounter God. That's it. There is no other agenda. There's nothing else that we have a concern for. It's because we want you to encounter God, because we have a heart for all of God's people. And that's our desire. And all of this is driven by a biblical worldview. It's driven by a biblical worldview. It's thinking God's thoughts. That's a a biblical worldview. We've said it numerous times. A biblical worldview is thinking God's thoughts about the issues of life. Biblical worldview, thinking God's thoughts, Scripture, about the issues of life. And trusting, even though a lot of times it goes against our own desires and it goes against what we want to be true, because it would be easier just to say, well, this is just what I want to do right now. Let's go do it. Trusting God enough 
That's a biblical worldview. Then trusting God enough to go, you know what? His ways are greater. His thoughts are greater and higher. And so I'm going to, I'm going to trust them anyway. It's not my natural inclination because of sin that has come into the picture and selfishness that has come into the picture, but I'm going I'm to step toward that biblical worldview anyway. And that's why we're asking everybody to memorize Isaiah chapter 55, 8 through 9. Isaiah chapter 55, 8 through 9. And uh, I love to hear you guys read them uh, and to call it this scripture. Um, has everybody, if you've memorized it, who's memorized it? Anybody? Awesome. Um, I'm going to invite you all to come to the stage and quote that right now. Yes. Um, let's all stand up. And I'm going to let you guys read out loud. I'll get you started just like before. And the words are going to come on the screen. And I'm going to get you guys started on calling this out with a joy and a recognition that God's ways truly are higher. And so here we go. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Amen. You may be seated. It's what this reminds us to do is to look at that scale that I even spoke about a week ago. Remember we had a scale, you can see it there, and uh, you worship God, like there's just a line, and you go, where are you on that scale? Are you just where you're going, you know what, I'm not willing to be shaped by God, this is, I already believe what I believe, and you're waiting for me to affirm what you already believe, and if I say anything that is different, you're not willing to grow at all, or, or to just go, what does the scripture really say, um, you've already made up your mind, what, you're somewhere either, I, I'm not going to make, or, or be altered at all, or you're going, you know, I have an open heart, an open mind, and I want God to speak into my life, regardless of what my preferences are, regardless of what I desire for myself. I'm willing to listen to God's truth and let it soak into my life. Where are you on that scale? And our prayer is that throughout this series, our heart will be open to God's teaching and to his truth. And so today, again, we get to talk about weed and wine, marijuana and drinking. Um, so let's just go ahead and jump into some of that. And I'm going to be calling out a lot for you. I do want to go ahead and give you a, a certain premise that you need to understand. First, um, let's go ahead. We're going to talk about drinking and then uh, and alcohol, and then we're going to jump into some marijuana. They're very, very similar. Uh, you're not going to go to the, the back of this, uh, of any Bible, and look up marijuana and find where it is in here. It's not going to happen. However, there's much that the Word of God has to say about anything that has control over our life. And so I'm going to address that very, very clearly, or at least the very best that I can. First, let me jump into drinking. If you're not of age, I don't care who you are, if you're not of age, you simply should not drink, period. Wine, I'm going to give you some stuff. There's you know, a couple of things just for us to stand on. Romans 13, verse 1. It says, everyone, who, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that, that which God has established. Disobeying the law is disobeying God. God says to, to surrender to that part and that we need to be able to do it. Now, it doesn't mean that everything is legal, that everything that is legal is also godly. It doesn't mean that at all. Um, but if you're not of age, simply you should not drink, period. All right? I know that, by the way, I know that as a society, we, we, we actually accept it. We just go, well, it's going to happen. I get that, but it's not biblical and it's wrong. And I should just go ahead and hit everybody um, between birth and death right now. So that's all of you. If it's not, we really need to know. Um, can we stop cheapening the gospel 
So this is what we've done. We've said, here's a biblical worldview, and we'll take it where we can, and we keep hiding behind the guise of, of mercy and grace and forgiveness. Simply because you're a teenager or you're a young adult doesn't give you the opportunity to simply negate God's word and God's truth. Anybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ, as soon as you say yes to Jesus Christ, you're saying, I want to be obedient to his word and his ways. And so I need to go ahead and call that out right now. And we need to recognize that as we move forward. Second, though, when it comes to drinking, what the Bible is not is it's not legalistic. And I know that some of you, you might have grown up a certain way. I grew up with a father who's a pastor of Southern Baptist churches in the county seat town of everywhere we live. I get it. Like, there are certain things you simply do not do. And one of those things is you would not drink, period. Um, and some people will say, well, hey, listen, don't you understand that there, there, you've got to be a teetotaler? Like there is no drinking whatsoever. You need to know that wine is often used in the Word of God, even, especially in times of joy, in times of celebration. There's a reason that God turned water into wine, first miracle wedding of Cana, but also in Psalms um, throughout. You see so many different places where they were using wine to, in times of joy and celebration. Psalm 4, 7. Psalm 104, verse 15. Jeremiah 31, verse 12. And yes, it's all about moderation. We need to know that. Allowing nothing to control us other than God. But we do see that. Some go, well, that wasn't real wine in the Bible. It was real wine. Aw. Like when people say, oh, that wasn't real wine, I just go, aw. In the South, we, get, we say, bless your heart. Right? And we're like, yeah, yeah. It was real wine. In fact, a lot of times they needed to do it just to clean what they were drinking even so that they wouldn't get sick from disease. It was real wine. The thing is, we just want to have control in our life, and so instead of living sometimes in grays, we want black and whites, and it's easier to be able to do that. But I would argue that what, what the church has taught is actually it has served as an injustice to many people. Because what we've done is we've taken portions of Scripture and we've created our own laws around them. And then other parts of Scripture we go, like drinking underage, and we go, well, it's kind of expected. We'll get, to, we'll get to, to the real stuff later on in life. As when we walk through all of this, one thing we have to recognize, and you can see it right there in your worship guide. You've you got some places you can fill in the blanks. We need to be filled with the Spirit. That's what's being instructed. You're going to see passage after passage. We need to be filled with the Spirit. Another way of saying it is don't get drunk. That's what it says about alcohol. Don't get drunk. Be filled with the Spirit. It says numerous times that drunkenness is a sin. It tells us in Ephesians, do not get drunk on wine. For that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. We know very, very clearly, in fact, we, we also know from Romans 13, Galatians chapter 5, um, 1 Peter chapter 4, numerous places where it speaks against drunkenness. There is no time in our life that we should give ourselves to drunkenness no matter what. It doesn't matter if it's after your favorite football team loses it doesn't matter if it's right before they win. It doesn't matter when it is. It doesn't matter what's taking place in your life. We are to give ourselves never to drunkenness. 
Why? Because we are to allow our actions to push others toward Jesus. We are to allow our actions to push others toward Jesus. We're not to offend other believers. Don't allow your action to become a distraction for others. Don't allow your action to become a distraction for others. We're not to do that. We see this in Romans 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, that we need to be considerate of the, those who have even differing convictions. And, and sometimes there's people who have a differing conviction than I do. And so I simply, listen, if, put it like this. If somebody is around you, this is really what it's saying, is that if somebody is around you, even if you're drinking casually and you have a glass of wine, what it's saying is if it's offending someone else or pushing them away from God or if it could cause you to be a stumbling block, you simply don't do it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it for us to be able to move forward. It tells us in Romans 14, 15 and following. Romans 14, 15 and following. It says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. It is, not, it, it is better not to eat meat or drink wine. This is at the end of that, closer to 2021. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. And so we want our actions to push others toward Jesus. In fact, another way of even communicating this right there in your notes is God is calling us to be a powerful witness. God's calling us to be a powerful witness. To recognize that very thing. God did not call us as followers of Jesus Christ to come and go, hey, just do what you can in life and try to make it to the end and be as happy as you can. He has brought and ushered in salvation into the world so that we might have life and have it abundantly. John 10, 10, and also Ephesians chapter 3, 20 and 21. So that we might have abundant life and, and recognize that he has far more ahead of us than we could recognize, so that we could be a powerful witness of Jesus Christ. That's what he's asking of us, to be a powerful witness. Even Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, listen, I know that I can eat anything that I want. He says, though I am free and belong to no man. This is 1 Corinthians 9, 19 and following. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone. Why? What he's saying is, but I'll give up anything I need to give up. Why? To win as many people for Christ as possible. I became all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. That's what we have to recognize is that our actions need to push others toward Jesus and that we are called to be a powerful witness we need to wake up to the fact God has called and empowered his church to be a powerful witness to the generations. He didn't simply call us to come together on Sunday morning and to hang out and hear words that we want to hear and then to worship and, and to occasionally go, yeah, that was cool, and to walk out um, and then go home. This is one of the most important things in our lives because God is calling the church to be a powerful witness in a culture and a community and he is calling us to wake up he's trying to stir our hearts so that we recognize that nothing in our life should control us other than God absolutely nothing and if we're honest with ourselves there's a lot of things that are that's controlling us other than God 
Yes, um, I can easily preach about alcohol and marijuana. You're about to hear a lot about marijuana. But there are other things that are controlling our lives as well. Can we talk about food? Gluttony? That's one I could preach on. In December, instead of jumping into peace, hope, love, and joy, like, you know, that's what people always do in December, and you never, never really know with me, uh, maybe we just spend the whole month on gluttony. That would be a good time to do it, right? Amen? You're like, please no. Not Christmas. In January, when we make our New Year's resolutions, but not Christmas. We're to be controlled by nothing other than God. Nothing other than God. We're to be his witness, a powerful witness of what it is to allow God to direct our steps, even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of difficulty. I want to speak for a moment about marijuana. Um, it seems like everybody in my family, pretty much a preacher, teacher, or doctor is what it feels like. And a lot of research has gone into this. I've made some phone calls and said, hey, what have you found? What have you discovered? I want to give you just a little bit of information about marijuana. Because right now it's legal. And I've told you numerous times, I said it even earlier already today, um, just simply because something is legal doesn't make it biblical. Just because something's legal doesn't make it biblical. We know that right now we're intoxicated, sometimes yes, by wine and beer and alcohol, but also by marijuana. And honestly, we're intoxicated by sin. Um, and what, are we, what we are discovering about marijuana, here's some of the following. Roughly 35 to 40 million, about 40 million is a solid estimate of people in the United States who regularly, that's once a month or more, are using marijuana at this time. 40 million. It's a lot of people, right? Um, one of the sites I went to, WebMD, they, were, they just put out an article and they kept talking about the mind-altering effect on the brain that marijuana has. But one of the things that I have discovered in three different articles, very, very different sources, one New York Times, one in WebMD, one's the National Health Institute. Um, one of my best friends, his, his brother works at National Health Institute and um, and, and just trying to gain as much information as I possibly can, is that the, the regular normal media is not speaking truth about the real power and the effect of marijuana and what it's doing. In fact, there's um, the first four states, uh, the first two states to adopt marijuana is 2014. Um, one was Colorado. All right? And if you look at it, they did it. They were looking at the amount of money that they would even make, and it's actually cost them more money than they would ever think that they would make. Think about that. Washington was the other state in 2014. It's cost them more because of what it's leading to. We're not being told truth about what it does. What, what takes place is as soon as you start smoking marijuana, um, your heart rate goes up 20, about 25 to 30 beats a minute. It can go up as much as twice as many times a minute. depends on the person. Similar to smoking, it starts to change your bronchial passages. Those are the pipes that let your air in and out of your lungs. And they become enlarged. Blood vessels in the eyes expand. And so all of a sudden there are breathing issues as well. And there's an increased risk for mental health problems linked with depression, anxiety, as well as suicidal thoughts among adolescents upon young adults today. Research is suggesting right now that people with a, gen with a genetic risk for developing schizophrenia that comes with smoking marijuana. And that's being tied more and more direct. In fact, one of the things that we saw was... Um, 
for four years, uh, Australia did a study, and they kept for four years, they started studying the link between marijuana and other things, and over and over again, it came back to it leads to mental illness. You talk about it for those who are for medicinal purpose. What I tell you is medicinal purposes, I'm not going to really hit much of it because it's such a small group of people, but it's actually being learned right now that it's causing more pain than it is causing any kind of release, any kind of help. Because of all that it's doing with anxiety and depression and other things of the sort. So with an increased risk for mental health problems, linking it to depression and anxiety. In fact, there's a guy, Alex Berenson, B-E-R-E-N-S-O-N. He's a graduate of Yale University. That always appeals to me because I had surgery at Yale Hospital up there. And um, they were absolutely amazing years ago when I had that taken care of and all of a sudden he there's a journal called marijuana mental illness and violence and I know I'm looking down a lot right now because I don't want to get any of this wrong because I'm certain you would all let me know marijuana mental illness and violence it's from January of 2019 it's volume 48 all right and he wrote in there because his wife is also a psychiatrist with the psych ward there in New York State one of the facilities that they have and here's the title. It says, Tell Your Children the Truth About Marijuana, Mental Illness, and Violence. We haven't had this number of people using marijuana since the 1970s. Here's the difference. In the 1970s, marijuana uh, contains THC, which is actually what gives that effect when you're smoking. That's the chemical within it. In the 1970s, it had roughly 2% THC. Today, it has 20 to 25% THC because of the chemicals and the way that we produce things today. So do the math. That's 10 to 15 times more powerful than it was in the 1970s. Like I think 1970s, and I go, wow, that's, that's when my, my parents were having kids. I was born in 74. Something that they're not telling you, because it's the active ingredient, THC, and it's having enormous impact on the mental state of people who are taking it. The National Academy of Medicine, this is going from Australia to the United States, the National Academy of Medicine in 2017 says that use of marijuana is is likely to increase the risk of developing schizophrenia, and it will increase the risk for developing social anxiety disorder, word for word. I mentioned about those first two states, Colorado and Washington. The second two states to adopt the use of marijuana was Alaska and Oregon in 2015. And combined, in those four states alone, since 2013, listen to this, since 2013, the percent of murders has increased 37%. And a 25% increase for aggravated assault. And the link that they're finding is marijuana. Because what we're being sold is, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It just makes you relax. Anybody heard that one before? It's not true. There's more to it. And so, all right, we all do that, by the way. Don't get on to society or culture for doing that. We all do it. We, our kids do it from an early age, right? They'll run in and they'll say, such and such hit me, and they're crying, and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then you get on to the kid, and they're like, well, wait, they threw a rock at me first. And then you look at the other kid, and like, you didn't tell me that part of the story. Why? Because they didn't want you to know that part of the story. Any parents have an amen? 
Well, we do the same thing. We just want people to hear the part of the story that we want to tell. Here's the thing that we have to understand, whether it comes to marijuana and smoking weed or whether it comes to alcohol, nothing in our life should have any control over us other than God. We are to give our body and give our mind to God. That's it. And he gives specific orders on that and saying, hey, listen, he doesn't say that you can't drink wine at all. Listen, my father, some of you may know this, when my father was alive, he was, right, that Southern Baptist pastor, um, but the first wine ever made was actually made from mead. It was from honey kind of thing. And, and so here he is. He always, in our basement, he would make mead. He would make wine. And he never once tried it. So I can't do that. I'm like, why not? I will. He's like, son. I'm like, oh, sorry. I won't be a pastor. Like, like what? Like, that's what he would do. He had bottles and bottles of this wine. He's like, I'm like, why are you making it? He's like, that's what they, this is what it was made out 2,000 years ago. And this is how they did it even 3,000, 4,000 years ago. I'm like, yeah, but you're not even trying it. And I did, I did try it, and it's absolutely horrendous. And I know we want to make up our own rules, but guys, we're called to live according to a biblical worldview, and that's just living according to his word, and we are to give our mind and our body to nothing but God. It tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, that our body belongs to God. I'd like to encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, just to prepare even for the next two weeks on biblical sexuality. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, as well as Romans chapter 1. I want to be going there a good bit. But one of the things that that's talking about for us is recognizing that the body is the temple and our nothing, nothing of our body, nothing of our mind should be given to anything other than God. Why? Because it also tells us that our body is sacred. It's all his, all of it, the way we think, the way we process, and we would always be serving as a powerful witness of the gospel. Anything that distracts our mind from God is dangerous. Hear me say this. Anything that distracts our mind from God is dangerous. Drunkenness and marijuana are in the same category. Proverbs 23, 32 and 33. Proverbs 23, 32 and 33, it says, In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. Any, in other words... Don't allow your mind to be taken away from Christ. Nothing is to control us other than God. Nothing. And we have to stay obedient to the fullness of what God is instructing. Remember, I'm the guy, I've been hit by two different drunk drivers. Right? Both cars totaled. One time, the, the, the engine was knocked off the block of the car and spun around twice. Glass growing out of my arm for a good solid two, three weeks, nearly a month. From the windshield. They're having to pull me out of it. And I would love nothing more to say, well, then this should never exist. What I'm saying is this be obedient to the word of God. We should never be given to drunkenness. Nothing should control us other than mind and body. And some of you are going, but Joel, you don't know the life that I live. That's the only way that I escape. And what God is saying is there are better ways to escape. 
and it's called in the presence of the Almighty. And I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm not trying to say that your life is easy and that I I don't understand the physical and the mental and the emotional and the relational pain that maybe some of you have walked through in life. I'm not doing that. But what I am saying is God, through his perfect word, is saying find peace, find rest, find fulfillment in me as hard as it might be. Because all the other stuff, you know what it is? It's temporary. That's why you have to go back to the bottle the next day. Because it's temporary. And some of you, one of the greatest things you could do to be that powerful witness is actually stand before your family and to stand before your friends and say, you know what, I need to do things different. I've gotten it wrong. He tells us that we are to be sober-minded. To be sober-minded means that we are to think as Christ would have us think. Especially for spiritual leaders, it tells us 1 Timothy 3.11. told you I'm going to a lot of scripture. 1 Timothy 3.11 says, really speaking to spiritual leaders, to be dignified, not slanderers, but to be sober-minded. 2 Timothy 4.5 is the same. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. 1 Peter 1, verse 13. It's right there in front of you. It says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. If you're a powerful witness for Jesus, you're preparing yourself to be a representative of him, regardless of what's going on in your life. And so you're preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's one way to think about it is we've been called, we've been called to so much more as his church. So much more. And there are so many of us who have given a portion to Christ but not truly surrendered to who he is. Here's the way I would get you to think about it. Um, I know you've been waiting to see what's with these cups possibly. I brought a dollar, all right? So I took this from a small child that I saw walk in. And... I'm, I'm like, okay, here it is. Here's, I want to show you something. I want to see how, how good you are. I'm going to put this right here underneath this cup. All right? Good? All right. It's not working. All right, hang on. Here we go. Boom. Now, does everybody know where it is? Oh, yeah? Watch this. I'm just kidding. Okay, there it is. All right? So this is the dollar. I'm going to see if you can keep your eyes on this, this dollar, all right? And if you can all keep your eyes on this cup, that means you all get to keep your eyes on this cup, all right? So we're going to, all right, so, all right, that's just a warm-up. Is it here? 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 Just, I'm just messing with you. Okay. Is it here? Good job. Give yourself a hand. Go ahead the greatest accomplishment some of us may have today. Right there. Okay. The hands are about to get fast. Are you ready? I never thought I would be doing this as I preach. But I did shoot a water gun the other week, so it's all good. All right. So. Meant to do that. That is so bad. 
literally last week, I'm like, oh, I've got a good object lesson. And the people in the office go, oh, no. Like, I'm like, really? They're like, you watch. And there they are. There's ammunition. Okay, okay. Here it is. Ready? One more time. Okay. Here? Here. Here? Here. You got it right. Good job. Okay. Here's the kicker. I'll give this back to the four-year-old that I saw earlier. But what we recognize is this is what we need to understand as, as followers of Jesus Christ. So many of us are limiting what God can do with our lives. And so we're giving ourselves to other things to find fulfillment. And what we've got to recognize that if we have a biblical worldview, we start to understand, we start to recognize that God has so much more for us. That's my 401k plan. Get your eyes off of it. <laughs> like, I took it all out. So, And we're sitting here, and we're, 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 we're shooting for these when he's got so much more for us. And some of you don't fully understand and process and acknowledge that God has more. His ways are higher. His thoughts are greater. And you're going, I'm shooting to get that temporary fulfillment. Oh, woohoo! You can go to fro- get a frosty at Wendy's now. I'm not even sure if that does it anymore. Does it do it? If it does, it just means the cup has gotten smaller. And he has so much more for us. And some of you aren't experiencing the more because you're so held captive to the other things that are, that are controlling your life. Some of you, the only way you can relax, you think about the weekend, you go, oh, my buddies can come over and I can have a beer. I'm not even saying it's wrong to have the beer with a friend. But what I am saying is that if that's your definition of being able to relax, you've, you've gotten it wrong. You've gotten it wrong. That's where we've lost our way. We've exchanged, we have exchanged a life of freedom and a life of purpose for a life of childlike games and behavior that leads down a rabbit hole of selfishness and indulgent behavior. I want to read it again. I want to make sure you get this. We have exchanged Because we keep giving ourselves the things that are false, that aren't going to actually last. We have exchanged a life of freedom, a life of purpose for a life of childlike games and behavior that leads down a rabbit hole of selfishness and indulgent behavior. Worth will never be found in holding a bottle. Struggles are never solved by losing self to the ways of anything but God. Hope is not found by losing yourself to temporary fulfillment. Hope is found by giving yourself to Jesus. And again, I'm not trying to make light of it and just say, oh, it's no big deal. It's easy to do. Some of you right now, today, you have to have a bottle in your hand in order to get through today. And what I'm saying is, even if we don't know how to walk with you fully, we will figure it out. And some of you have found relief in everything but God. And I'm, I, am, I so want you to find relief in God because it's worth it. I'm begging you to give your life to Jesus. To not be held 
captive by anything else? Maybe that's even the, the question that you need to ask yourself. Is what is it that's holding you captive? And I know that can be a hard question. Maybe this is the way you need to do it. Maybe what you need to do is go to a friend or a loved one and ask them this. What is it that gets you the most excited? Ask a friend and say, what, what excites me the most? What do you think excites me the most? And what I'm saying is it at least gives you a, a forum to be able to speak and to be able to talk to say, if it's anything but God, have you not misaligned your priorities and maybe you're finding fulfillment and purpose in something other than God? Right, I, get, I just get pumped to worship. I just get excited to worship. God has my heart. <laughs> oh, he is so beautiful. And maybe you're being held captive by something else. And I've had moments in my life where I go, really? And I, I feel like my heart is so far from God, but God wants to hold your heart captive in the very most beautiful way possible. And so as we listen to this song, I, my prayer is that we can just kind of sit and, and think about what's holding your life captive. Is it drinking? Is it marijuana? Do you think no big deal of it, even though you're giving your mind and your body to something other than God, and yet you, the world has said don't make a big deal of it, so you don't make a big deal out of it? What are you being held captive by? And will you allow yourself to be controlled by God? Lord, I come before you in the name of Jesus. And I ask that we sit fully in your presence. That we acknowledge your greatness and who you truly are. And for some of these friends, they are hurting so bad right now. And while this sounds great, it seems like a pipe dream to them. While it sounds great, they don't see how they can actually get there. God, show them the light at the other end of the tunnel as long as that light is you. Because we know that you are the light of the world. And that you have brought freedom. In Christ's name.